Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of my podcast. This is episode number three of um, Beginning Again with Leanna Tankersley. Thanks so much for listening. Um, This episode is called Being a Companion to Yourself. This is some real tricky business that we're going to talk about today, and I don't think I'm the only one, though perhaps I might be, that tends to find myself at times in an adversarial relationship with myself. I'm sure that's never happened to you. I'm sure this is something you don't struggle with. Um, But here I am. I'm going to talk about what this has looked like in my life. I realize there have been many times where I have found myself um, in the ring with myself, uh, and I'm just not particularly on my own team. What I have found uh, is that life is hard enough Uh, We don't need to be in some kind of a uh, self versus self relationship to add on to what's already very difficult in life. So I have found that this is an important topic to talk about because many of us struggle with it and it's getting in the way of our day-to-day life. And so another way we might think about this, um, this idea of being a companion to ourselves is how do we begin again with ourselves? We understand a lot about forgiving other people, perhaps. Maybe we've done some of that work in our lives. Have we forgiven ourselves? I mean, that's just a big question to start this off with. Do we even know what that looks like? And um, can we turn toward ourselves with compassion as a companion instead of an A number one critic? So these are the things I want to talk about in our episode today. Um, it's it's incisive work, and like I said, this is um, the relationship in our lives that we are in no matter what, <laughs> the relationship with ourselves, and so um, this is complicated and nuanced, and we don't talk about it enough. So we're going to get into it today. If you hear weird noises in the background, that's because there are weird noises in the background. Um, there is a huge construction project going on next door, and you may hear some like machinery, people yelling. I don't even know what else. Uh, that's because um, there's like a, a bunch of craziness happening right outside my apartment. So my apologies, but um, the show must go on, as they say, right? Okay. Also, I want to tell you about a couple other things. If you're listening to this episode on the day that it released, which is August 21st, then you might know that yesterday was the big birthday of my new book, Always We Begin Again. It made its way out into the world yesterday. I'm really excited and I'm looking forward to your feedback on it. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's uh, 100 readings and reflections collected together, all designed to help us begin again. So if you need some... um, support and daily encouragement in the area of beginning again, then I encourage you to look for my book, Always We Begin Again. And then also, I wanted to let you guys know, some of you that are listening are um, are involved in MOPS, an incredible national organization, international organization that um, supports mothers of preschoolers. And I have long been um, just uh, a supporter and participant and contributor to MOPS International. And um, I am going to be speaking at their annual conference this year. I spoke last year, and it was an incredible experience, and I'm going to be speaking again this year. It's in Orlando, Florida, and for those of you moms that are going to be there, I'm doing a workshop on Saturday, September 7th. It's going to be a workshop on surrender, and there's two different times that it's happening. You can check your schedule for that, and after each workshop, I'm going to be signing the new book. So if you're coming, please come say hi, introduce yourself, and I'd love to give you a hug and sign your new book. So I hope to see some of you there. 
Okay. And then lastly, um, in terms of housekeeping, I just wanted to say thank you to those of you that have been listening, those of you that listened to the first two episodes of the podcast, and have just given me such tender and encouraging feedback. Um, this is a vulnerable uh, endeavor. And so um, I'm just, I really appreciate your kind words and your, um, your encouragement to me. So let's keep it going. Okay, so today we are talking about being a companion to ourselves. And what this means is that we choose every day, sometimes like eight times a day, to take ourselves down off the big hook of contempt and self-condemnation for about five seconds and actually um, look at ourselves like we would a friend instead of an enemy. And um this is a practice and a choice like so many other things in life. It's a discipline. We don't wait until we like feel great about our bodies or about our choices or about our, um, our, you know, brains or whatever it is. We don't wait until this feels good or we feel really good about ourselves to treat ourselves well. We do it um, instead. We do it anyway. We choose to um, come around the table and sit next to ourselves because it's time, because we don't deserve to keep hurting ourselves. We choose to be a companion to ourselves because we realize that any other posture is only going to keep us stuck. And so we decide that um, in a subversive practice, in a rebellious um, effort, we are going to choose to say, hey, you, let's be friends. And we're going to act like that's true. Okay. There's this gorgeous line from Dr. Seuss's book, Oh, The Places You'll Go. Um, I love that book. If you haven't read it recently, read it. It's not just for kids. It's a beautiful book for adults, and there's so much wisdom in it. But I love the line that says, I'm afraid that sometimes there'll be lonely games too, games you can't win because you'll play against you. I don't know how many of you guys um, resonate with that, but I can think back to a lot of times in my life where I was playing a game I was never going to win because I was playing against myself. I was locked in an adversarial response to myself, and it was going nowhere. It was absolutely going nowhere. So the crux of today's podcast is this idea that um, I think sometimes we assume, and this comes from a lot of different places and messages and cultures in our life, but we assume that we can um, punish and bully ourselves into better behavior, and um, that that those are the motivating factors into the transformation we're looking for. If I just push and punish and bully myself more, then I will get the desired uh, results that I want from myself. And it's actually the opposite. What I've realized, and this is like super um, countercultural, but um, that what what motivates change and what motivates transformation in us more than anything, especially lasting change and transformation, is love. That we would have a greater vision for ourselves than simply, I'm just so flawed, I've got to change. You know, some of us grew up with um, the uh, belief that the most essential thing about us is that we're flawed. And I just do not believe that. I, um, I look at the creation story And I look at Genesis 1 that says we were made in the image of God. And in Genesis 3, we make some bad decisions as we do. We choose something that wasn't good for us as we do. Uh, We decided to go a route that we were advised would be um, not uh, good for us as we do. But that does not negate the story of Genesis 1, right? We didn't just wake up and find ourselves and the story started in Genesis 3. 
So when we believe that the most essential thing about us is that we're bad, um, it's hard to be on our own team, right? It's hard to, it's hard to like cheer for ourselves. When we believe that the most essential thing about us is that we bear the image of God, uh, I think we have a greater vision for our lives, a greater vision for our transformation, that we have this God spark inside of us that we want to nurture and protect, and we want it to flourish. And so we want to come around the table, as I said before, and sit next to ourselves and say, okay, self, how can we unleash that into the world a little bit more? How can I champion you and advocate for you um, and clear a path so that you can become more you instead of how can I mitigate how flawed and bad I am. These are two very different postures. And I would ask you to just pause, even as we get into this, and think about what is my posture toward myself? What is my belief about myself? I am most essentially what? I'm most essentially flawed, or I'm most essentially a bearer of the image of God. This is an important place to start because everything flows out of that. Does the story for me start in Genesis 1, or is the story simply about Genesis 3? So think about that as we get into this a little bit more. Um, but you know, I am just—I'm notorious for um, all of a sudden finding myself in situations where I just, you know, I should have known better, and I'm not treating myself uh, the way I would treat, let's say, a friend. Okay, uh, Exhibit A. After I had Luke and Lane, those are my twins. Um, it was like. I don't know. I was like three months postpartum. And let me just stop and say that Luke was seven pounds, seven ounces, and Lane was seven pounds, nine ounces. So I had like 15 pounds of baby in me. And um, it was about three months after they were born. And I poured myself into like lacquered on pre-pregnancy genes, non-maternity genes, And I felt like because I was able to wedge my body into these pants that the world owed me some kind of award. I mean, I frankly, I felt morally superior because I was able to get into these pants, right? And um, what I quickly realized is that they were making me, you know, you know, like when you're hungry and, and it makes you angry and people say you're hangry, well... These pants were squeezing me so badly. It was making me angry. It was like cutting off circulation to my brain because of how um, how ill-fitting these pants were. And this is something we do. We try to squeeze ourselves into all these kinds of ill-fitting relationships as a way of punishing and bullying ourselves. You know, ill-fitting relationships with our schedules, with toxic people, with our work, with our pants. So, you know, you'd think I learned my lesson um, about you know, not doing this. This is an unkind way to treat a postpartum body. But I remember after I had L and it was like, you know, of course, two or three months after I had L and we were living in the Middle East at the time because of my um, husband's job at that time. And I remember um, I got stuck in stop and go traffic and I had once again poured myself into pre-pregnancy jeans and these did not have any stretch in them. If you can imagine like... This is just a crime. It's a crime against humanity and my own body. But there I was with this air of moral superiority because I had poured myself into these pants. 
I was sitting in stop and go traffic. It was a hundred thousand degrees outside and, uh, my air conditioning could not keep up with the heat outside. And I could, um, I could feel with like visceral disgust, my postpartum stomach, like observably expanding, um, over the top of these jeans, like dough rising. And, um, I, as soon as I got out of that traffic, I, I like screeched into the driveway. I ran upstairs and I dove into the loyalty of my yoga pants. And I was like, that's it. No more bad pants. Like I, life is hard enough. Like we do not need to get our pants involved. Right. And what I remember seeing when I peeled those pants off of me, uh, was like the indentations down the side of my leg around my stomach. And it was like, my body had been scored for surgery, you know? And I've just decided, even if I have to wear a stretch waistband the rest of my life, I'm not going to wear clothes that hurt me. No more, no more bad pants. So this is just like one small example of how we might decide to treat ourselves with love, respect, dignity, instead of punishing ourselves uh, because we believe that that will make us feel better about ourselves. It does not work. It never does. And um, I would like to believe that I have learned that lesson more times than I'd like to, I could care to admit. But here I am having to learn it over again. And there are days where I will pick jeans out of my closet and I'll say, I really want to wear those today. And I'll put them on. And immediately I know it's not a good idea. For whatever reason, it's not a good idea. And I have to walk around the house and sit down a couple of times and remember the promise I made to myself that I will no longer wear clothes that hurt me. And I march back into my closet and and I take them off and I try something else on. And that's called beginning again. And I don't do it because um, I am that uh, zen. I am that um, psychologically graduated. I am that um, arrived. I do it as a discipline and a practice and a gift to myself because I have a long time ago decided that I was not going to do that to myself ever again. Okay, so another thing that will help us in this is just simply thinking about how do I talk to and talk about my dear friends? And might I consider, uh, I don't know, this is revolutionary, talking to and talking about myself in the same way because I am my own friend. I mean, I know, it's, it's shocking, I know. So if I had a friend who was going through something difficult, a dear friend, not like an acquaintance that I see at church, I'm like, hi, 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 you know, but like someone like a warrior sister, someone I love, someone that I'm very close to, okay? If she called me and she's like, oh gosh, Leanna, you know, I, I have this, this horrible hard thing that's going on in my life and I'm having this terrible time in my marriage and I just, you know, I, I, um, I'm, I'm just at my wit's end again, you know, and I would say, well, come over, come over. Let's talk. And while she's on her way over, I would um, go into my kitchen and I would um, I would make her the beverage of her choice because see, I pay attention to my friends, my dear friends, and I know I know like how they like their coffee. Do they only drink decaf? Do they drink caffeinated coffee? Do they drink it black? What kind of creamer they like? I know if they drink tea, you know, which ugh. 
nasty, but I know some of my friends like tea. And so I get their beverage ready, you know, their beverage of choice ready. And then I also know how they take their water. I know my friends that like sparkling water. I know my friends that like tap water with or without ice. And because I'm a firm believer of an equal balance of hydration and caffeination at all times, I get all the beverages ready for them and I get it ready for them in the way that they like it. Right. Cause I know, cause I know what my friends love. I know what my friends need. And then I get the, um, I get the anthropology candle out, you know, the one that costs like probably $6 a minute to burn. And of course it's the candle that, um, I would never light for myself. I have it on the center of the table there, but I would never light it for myself. I just sort of walk by it and, you know, try to like catch the scent of it. But it's it's like too nice for me to just have burning in my house. But because my friend's coming over, I light the candle. Um, and I make sure that she notices it, of course, right? Um, and then I find, a, if it's cold outside or cool outside, I find a soft blanket, you know, uh, like one of the faux fur blankets that I love. And I put that there and I make a little nest for her because she's hurting and she's going through something difficult and she's on her way over to talk to me about it. And I want her to have a soft place to land and I want her to feel known and to feel loved. And when she walks in the door and I hug her and she hugs me, I, and she starts telling me, you know, what's going on. And we sit down and start talking. My immediate response to her is not, do you know how many times you have needed prayer already this month? You are so needy. Get yourself together. No, no, I would never, I would never say that to a dear friend. I mean, I might think it just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But I never say that to her. But how are we around ourselves? We're so intolerant of our need, of our winding path, of our um, struggle, right? We're so intolerant. Can't you get it together? Do you know how many times you've needed prayer this? Do you know how many times you've needed this month? You're at your need threshold. Move on, get it together. We would never, ever say this to someone we love. We just wouldn't. We would be more compassionate and more tolerant of the reality of life and life circumstances. And so we'd sit there and we'd talk and I'd probably rub her arm if she said, you know, I know, like, I know my friends that would like want me to kind of rub their arm and say, it's okay, it's okay, I'm right here, I'm listening. You know, and then I know my friends that don't appreciate being touched, right? So I'd keep my distance from those friends and I'd just make eye contact and I'd nod, right? Because I know, I know like how to create a safe and loving and welcoming environment for people I love. And the trick here is, can I do the same thing for myself. And I would say to that friend, you know, guy, it's so annoying how needy you are. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say, you know, life is hard and I'm sorry you're still dealing with this. And if you're still dealing with it next week, it's okay. And you can come back over and we can talk about it again. It doesn't bother me. It's all right. And I love you. Some of us are in the midst of really challenging circumstances. And one quick way to make that a whole lot worse is to turn on ourselves You know, I think we have to remember that sometimes life is hard, uh, not because we're failing, but because it's hard. And I think we find ourselves sometimes in these really challenging circumstances, and it's so easy for us to start badgering ourselves. You know, if I only would have done this, and if you would have just gotten it together, and this is what you always do, and we just let the door crack open to those soul bullies and um, let them start in on their mantra about how, you know, if only we were stronger and skinnier and smarter, we wouldn't have gotten ourselves into this mess, and we join in with them. And we echo everything they have to say. And um, 
I just, I think it's so important to remember that there are so few things in life we can totally control. Um, honestly, like maybe not any, but one thing we can always control is how we treat ourselves. And that one thing can make all the difference. If we'll say, you know, I'm not going to join in, in this soul crushing dialogue, uh, with myself, I'm going to, um, especially, especially in those times when we're reduced and we're depleted and we have a, you know, a postpartum body or a post-trauma soul and we need a companion. We don't need a critic, right? Like we all know when we've messed up, we all know when it's like, oh wow. Yeah. I like royally screwed this up and I got myself into a giant pickle. I got it. You know, we don't need to rehearse it half the time. What we need is a friend. What we need is love. What we need is grace. Those things are the fuel that will actually change the circumstances. Those things are the fuel that will actually change our perspective on the circumstances. So if you are in the midst of something challenging, depleting, difficult, sad, regrettable, one of your temptations is going to be to blame yourself if you're anything like me. How did I get myself into this situation? And there's nothing wrong with self-reflection and learning from our situation, of course. But what I'm talking about is, um, is saying that because I'm here, I'm a failure. And that is not a helpful, generative, or productive narrative. So how can we come beside ourselves and say, yeah, this is horrible, this is hard, this is, this is super challenging. And... I'm loved, I'm seen, I'm a child of God, and I am not going to use this as an opportunity to hurt myself even further. It's truly beautiful the way we can extend this to other people. And I think one of the ways that we learn to be a companion to ourselves is to sit down and think about the ways that we extend ourselves to those we love, the ways we champion we advocate, we welcome, we embrace, we accept, we forgive, we believe in those people we love. And could we begin to nurture that kind of relationship with ourselves? One that's not adversarial, that's not mocking, that's not putting down, that's intolerant, but one that turns toward ourselves and say, hey friend, um, yeah, you're going through some stuff and it's gnarly and you might still be going through it next week and that's okay. And uh, we're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. And we're going to, we're going to learn how to begin again. I had a club volleyball coach in high school that um, had an anger issue and um, he would yell at us in practice and embarrass us to try to get us to play better. And then in tournaments, he would throw chairs (laughs) and was known to get kicked out of tournaments here and there. And um, did we play hard for that man? We did. Did we try hard? We did because we were afraid of getting publicly embarrassed in front of college volleyball scouts when he threw chairs because uh, we didn't pick up a tip. But his behavior was about coercion and about shaming uh, us into performing the way he wanted us to perform. And let's just be clear that that's very different than actual transformation. And so in life, yes, we can shame ourselves, bully ourselves, force ourselves, 
coerce ourselves and abuse ourselves into better performance. We see it all over the place, right? We can do that, but that is not a recipe for becoming the people we really want to become. That's about deprivation and that's about being a bully. What we are trying to nurture is uh, a relationship for the long haul that um, is motivated by love, motivated by grace, and motivated by the reality that we no longer deserve to keep hurting ourselves. We, we realize we were made for more, that this isn't just about our performance in this world and in this life and how good we can get at the game, Right? This is about saying, hey, let's go out into the world and let's do some good work. Let's do some creative, uh, soul-searching work. Let's put ourselves out there with the people that we love. Let's practice vulnerability. Let's get close to people. Let's not settle for just contact. Let's nurture connection with each other. The way that we do this is by starting with ourselves. We start with ourselves and we turn toward ourselves in a posture of love and grace and desire to get out there and to do something significant with our lives, with our day, with with this moment. And we say, I'm on your own team. And we don't do that because, hey, come on, get it together. Get your life together. It just does not work. We say, hey, you have something really important to offer this world, to offer your neighbor, to offer your child, to offer your workplace. Don't let anything extinguish that flame. I just want you guys to know that um, it's vulnerable to put ourselves out there in the world. um, And we can't do it unless we um, are on our own team, unless we are willing to come beside ourselves and say, let's do it. Let's do this together. And so whatever we are trying to um, accomplish in this world and in our relationships and in our home, it starts in our relationship with ourselves. And I just believe that very firmly. If you feel stuck, if you feel um, afraid, if you're worrying, if you are unsure how to step forward into the next thing in your life, why don't you try revisiting your relationship with yourself Am I um, pushing myself? Am I forcing myself? Am I depriving myself? Am I punishing myself? Am I overriding my own feelings about something? I need to stop, turn toward myself, and ask what it is I need to sit with, what I need to welcome, instead of just pushing forward. And I promise you that this is worth your time and it's worth your energy and it will produce something uh, that that punishing and pushing never will. And so today's call is just to be uh, aware of the kind of relationship you're nurturing with yourself. And could you take five minutes today to turn toward yourself and say, I will not be your number one critic. I will actually learn what it means to be a companion to you. And that my most essential belief about you will not be that you are evil, bad, and flawed. My most essential belief about you is that you are a um, divine image bearer, and we must do what we can to protect and nurture that beautiful image. Okay? So I just want to remind us all that there is always a hand reaching towards you. There is always grace available, and there is always a chance to begin again. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Bye.